The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decision. Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Stock Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Nigel Finch. Today on the program, I'm speaking with Terry Roberts, CEO and founder of Whitehawk Limited, who are listed under the ticker code WHK. Now, Whitehawk is a US-based cybersecurity firm with a highly scalable digital risk offering. Terry, thanks very much for joining us from Washington, DC, and welcome to the program. Nigel, it's lovely to be with you. I want to start off with uh, just a few simple questions just to get a snapshot of your business and then talk a bit more about your background and professional experience as well. So to start off, can you give listeners a quick uh, overview of the size and scale of Whitehawk, perhaps the headcount or number of customers or revenue market cap? Just uh, give us a flavor of it. Absolutely. So um, we're you know, still a, a small business, uh, 20 uh, employees, mostly technical, uh, deeply technical on both the development, data science and cybersecurity side. Uh, and uh, annual revenue over the past year is 2 million US. Uh, most of our customers are nicely split b- between um, government and industry. We currently target the big guys, but it's because we want to be able to um, look across their suppliers and vendors and partners and identify, prioritize, and mitigate their risks. And for those who don't know your company, can you briefly summarize the value proposition, your key technology stack, and the markets you serve? Yes, Nigel, I can. Um, So our value proposition is an end-to-end online platform and virtual consult that can identify, prioritize, and mitigate the risks of any company or organization in the world. Whether you are a SME or whether you're a large corporation and you want a hacker view of your risk. Our technology stack is based on, obviously, a. Um, we're actually migrating right now uh, from Drupal to AWS, um, but as an online platform and a website, we you know, are accessible to anyone at www.whitehawk.com. Um, on top of that, we have our um, algorithms and analytics that leverage publicly identifiable and available data sets, both about risk and cyber threat landscape, um, algorithms that help then to prioritize those risks and then match you to products and services. And then the, the, the target markets uh, right now are more focused on providing our integrated SaaS service with Sontic to major financial institutions, insurance groups, um, ISPs, internet service providers, and managed service providers in support of all of their business clients. Yeah. 
Look, I want to get back to talking about your business very shortly, and I particularly like this idea of the hacker view. So we'll we'll, we'll be talking about that. But I'm also keen to better understand your background in military and executive. Now, I understand that up until 2009, you were the Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence in the US, and you've had a, a, a distinguished career working across military intelligence programs alongside what, Secretary of Defense, Director of US National Intelligence, the services, of course, the combat support agencies. And for more than 30 years, you've had senior intelligence positions, including Director of Intelligence, Commander-in-Chief, NATO, in Allied Forces, uh, Southern Europe, I'm sorry, Naval Co- Director of Naval Command on C4ISR, Chief of Staff for Director of Military Intelligence, the list goes on. Your military and civilian honours are longer than Santa's wish list, I'm afraid. <laughs> Look, I, I understand also that if you're okay to talk about this, your father was in naval intelligence. So, Terry, yeah. when you were growing up, was this the path that was expected or was it something else that drew you to service? Um, so I'm the youngest of four. Um, I did want to go into my father's work because I saw that intelligence work allowed you to support a breadth of, you know, senior officers and senior executives and that you could be an influencer. Um, So I wanted to follow in his path. I do have a sister who was uh, uh, is a retired Marine Corps bird colonel. So uh, a little a little bit of both sides, but Hmm. primarily it's that. Honestly, it's that national security, global risk perspective um, that was bred into me at a very early age and has been a focus, you know, across my entire career. And can you talk about your experience as a woman in leadership working across military and defense and, and, and what changes you've seen in your career? You know, ironically, although I was um, the first woman to have most of the jobs that I was in um, and I was, you know, always there was that disappointed look when you walked through the door. Right. Oh, my goodness. It's a woman kind of thing. I honestly never had problems Um, once I hit the deck running. I found that they accepted me. Um, and enabled me, and I have have had many male mentors and enablers, um, and I really think I owe it to my parents who just instilled sort of a quiet level of confidence and assurance, not not ego, but knowing what your strengths and your weaknesses are. Now, it's not just the military and executive achievements you've had in your career, but also in academia. Uh, can you tell us a bit about your academic experience, including your time at um, NIU and also your directorship at the prestigious Carnegie Mellon University working with the U.S. interagencies? Yes, thank you. I, I am proud that I've been, a, you know, a senior military officer, an executive in government, an executive in in uh, academia, in industry, and now with my own company. And I do think it gives me a unique perspective. Carnegie Mellon was one of the best decisions of my life. Um, I was truly honored and very fortunate that they offered me an executive director position at the Software Engineering Institute. It's where I really learned about 
research and development universities, um, you know, one of the top schools in computer science in the world, the first school of uh, machine learning, uh, you know, just the first, one of the first uh, R&D labs in 2004 focused on cyber. It was eye-opening and, and game-changing for me. And I don't think I could be doing the company today if I hadn't worked to establish the Emerging Technology Center there and the Cyber Intelligence Consortium, foundational to the innovation that I think we're doing right now. You've had a fascinating career, and it really speaks to the depth of cybersecurity expertise within Whitehawk. Let's now turn our attention to better understanding some of the important aspects of your business. So there have been a few changes to your team. Can you tell us a little about what's going on with further building out your human capital? So you've, uh, I know there's been some changes to the board yeah. and perhaps to the executive. Yes. Um, so I am, first of all, uh, very fortunate to have an amazing uh, board of directors with, with Phil George, who um, out of Perth, who is one of those cyber and risk innovators <laughs> um, uh, now starting his, his or, or well on the way with his uh, second company. And, and then also with uh, Tiffany Kleeman, uh, who has been, you know, in cybersecurity across government and industry and, you know, has been involved in the sale and merger of so many cybersecurity companies, I can't even keep track. And now with Melissa King, um, I really did not need more cybersecurity or risk um, uh, insight. What I needed is that global perspective um, and someone who has led, right, one of your largest nonprofits worked across the corporate and your government um, in putting initiatives and capabilities in place and knows executives across the board and globally. And so her connections already were working at a pace. And then within the team, I'm very excited that um, our chief product officer, who really, Sue Kim, who has been foundational over the last few year, three years in actually building our platform and building our technical team. Uh, and now she has accepted uh, that she will fleet up and be the chief operating officer in uh, in January. Mm. Terry, I understand that you've been working on the new website. You've mentioned that, um, and that will be your interface to a game-changing sales channel. Can you tell us how your SaaS offering will be sold to ISPs and MSPs, managed service providers? Yes. So um, the, the new website uh, or next phase of the website, right, is really built upon the automation that we've been putting in place um, over the past year, where we've had experience with clients, take that experience, and then be, Sue and her amazing team have been able then to automate so that a lot of our processes, our analytics, and our cyber risk scorecards that come from the platform are now literally 98% automated. We just do a few tailored comments as, as we wish. 
Um, and so with the new website, we're also highlighting more effectively the product lines that we've now codified, the Cyber Risk Radar, Cyber Risk Program, um, and the Cyber Risk Scorecards, and our partnership with Sontic. So Sontic has built an amazing SaaS platform for businesses uh, that incorporates financial fraud, identity theft, mobile device security, and they integrated our cyber risk services into their platform. Together, we are a scalable, affordable, comprehensive approach for internet service provider business clients um, and managed service provider business clients. And that is an embed subscription that can be implemented across tens of thousands of companies, literally within a couple of weeks. Mm. Well, your company has had success with obtaining contracts and grants, particularly from US federal government agencies. Can you tell us a little about the pipeline of work and some of the new proof of value engagements that you've been commissioned for in the past few months? Yes. Um, our, our initial strategy was to get some of the, you know, uh, longer term government contracts so that we could have some steady revenue coming in while we were advancing and building the platform. Interestingly enough, out of one of those contracts with Department of Homeland Security, um, their, their CISA, um, their Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, um, our platform is being recreated and tailored for the U.S. civil sector, which is also creating an interesting new line for us, which is our platform as a service, taking our entire platform capability and tailoring it for uh, an insurance group or a financial institution um, to provide our services to their business clients. Um, and we had not thought of that until we, we started doing it for the government. Mm. Given the current fragility of uh, many of the world's foreign affairs relationships at present, um, what's been happening in terms of cybersecurity threats and breaches, and where do you expect this activity to head? So you know, from a national security perspective, it's just it needs to be known that cyber espionage is legal for most countries globally, but when focused government to government, right? But there are some countries that don't have that rule. And so they therefore have no barrier to go after industry. That's the big difference. So from a state actor, cyber hacker perspective, there are obvious countries that we hear about, China, North Korea, Iran, Russia, um, and others that have no rules. Okay. So that's on one side. On the other side is just criminals moving online globally and very sophisticated, right? It's a low cost of entry 
and it's a high gain, high payoff, right? It's where the money is. So you have those two major dynamics going on um, at the same time. Mm. Here, from the national security perspective, here in Australia, we've had a spate of cybersecurity attacks with our our ACS responding to more than 2,000 incidents just this year. What does this say about the vulnerability of supply chains, especially across government entities? Yeah, I, it's it's remember part of my background is to think like a bad guy. Hmm. So I'm always going to come at you through your weakest link. So I'm not going to right um, um, maybe come at you directly where you have a fortress of capability and a sophisticated team. I'm going to come through one of your underprotected partners right, or state and local connections or suppliers or vendors, right, that, that's, that makes it easy for me. So, Terry, can you briefly explain your revenue model and what investors should be looking for to understand the traction you're making in the market? Yeah, so um, to date, the, the revenue model has been focused on our cyber risk radar and cyber risk program, which are an integration of our capabilities with cutting edge partners. So we do make margin on the partner, right, piece of what we sell, um, 10 to 20 percent. But then our margin now as we automate um, is between 50 and 75% on our automated platform and the cyber risk scorecards and our virtual consults. And finally, what can shareholders look forward to over the next 12 months? So some delays as a result of COVID I have found in decision-making. So we have had, but the good news is we have the prime, uh, the, the pump primed for several contracts involving global insurance groups with us as a platform for them with ISPs and MSPs with us with Sontic, where we sell the deal, we get a licensing fee, and then we have the up upfront, and then we have the upsell in the consults. So those are the game-changing contracts that get us the volume so that we go from servicing the hundreds to servicing the thousands, and hopefully in different global sectors, so that all we need to do is set up small hubs globally because the platform can support anyone around the world. Well, I wish you luck with this as you move into uh, a scale-up phase or further, further accelerate your scale-up phase. Well, thank you to my guest, Terry Roberts, CEO and founder of Whitehawk, for joining us for this edition of StockDoc. And you can stay in touch with us through our StockEd website. And if you haven't already done so, Remember to subscribe to our twice-daily newsletter for ASX market coverage, company profiles, and industry insights.